Friday Night Lights at the Abbey Road Stadium, or Abbey Road Stadium, Abbey Stadium, uh, it wasn't very good. Uh, no, it wasn't. I'm not entirely convinced it was the football apocalypse, though. The next day's Schadenfreude Express, uh, Schadenfreude Saturday, is that a thing? Are we calling it that now? No, let's not. Right, is this Sky? <laughs> exactly. Do we have to brand every segment? It kind of sets our performance in a slightly less damning light, doesn't it? Actually, I'm not sure it does. Uh, so, you know, the context is that United are still in the FA Cup and a whole bunch of other teams aren't, and that, that is good for United because presumably we'll spank Cambridge at Old Trafford, you'd, you'd like to think anyway, and, and Van Hal's side will be through to the fifth round and there won't be too many other good teams left in it. You know, Liverpool, we'll see what Arsenal do on Sunday. Uh, and so that that context is good. It doesn't alter the performance, I don't think, and I, I think... Um, you know, it's not relative to other teams, really. It's just relative to United and Cambridge. Uh, and in that, United just weren't good enough to beat a League Two side. Uh, and that's pretty damning. Yeah, it wasn't ideal. What what do you put it down to? A whole bunch of factors that we've discussed this season. Uh, so insistent on playing players out of their natural position. So quite a few. I mean, obviously, we had two at full back. He went back to a back four. It didn't actually change the speed with which United built up, uh, did it? All sorts of problems in midfield. So basically, Fellaini was playing on the right wing. Yanazai was playing in central midfield. So two players uh, definitely weren't comfortable. Although I thought Yanazai had a decent game for a player who's barely played this season. The ball's just not getting into the front man very quickly. Now, I'm certainly no advocate of, of knocking it long, but I think there's a big difference between possession for the sake of possession and possession that's penetrative. You know, there's Barcelona 2008 to 2011 kept the ball, but there was so much great movement up front that they created tons and tons of chances and scored you know, loads of goals, didn't they? And this was like late-stage Barcelona where... The cancer had set in and there was just no movement left anymore. And so United had the ball and it went sideways, sideways, sideways. And there were just no options. And, you know, sure, Cambridge just tried to defend. But what do you expect? It's a lead two side. Uh, how many times did United actually penetrate that or uh, try to switch the play or try to draw Cambridge out? I have to say it was a really, really disappointing attacking performance. And then you look at the defensive performance and United could have conceded goals, really could have. Uh, yeah, they could have scored as well. The Cambridge keeper did pretty well a couple of times. It was interesting because United finally looked fluid when Herrera came on late in the game. And it almost seemed to me like he was what the game was desperately missing. I don't know if that's rose-tinted spectacles or whatever, of you know, that thing of when a player doesn't play, they often become the solution in your head, don't they? Gareth Barry with England in World Cup 2012... 2010, sorry, has to be the most extreme example of that. <laughs> yeah, well, look, Herrera's a, a good player and he's the kind of player that can move the ball you know, very quickly and he's, he's a good attacking player and he's a good defensive player and I think he'd have added a lot. And I think, honestly, Louis van Gaal got the selection badly wrong. So, uh, I mean, it almost looked like a selection that would have played a 3-5-2 type system, but then it ended up playing with a 4-4-2 in the diamond in midfield and and so you had a couple of players completely sort of lost in that midfield. It was just very odd, really. And as soon as Herrera came on, suddenly United started moving the ball more quickly, as you'd expect. You know, it was better. Not brilliant, but it was definitely much better. So I wonder whether Louis van Gaal just made this odd selection based on sort of height, you know? And they thought, oh, League Two side, it's going to be physical, therefore I'll get Fellaini in the game. And, and that was exactly the opposite of what was needed because it kind of dragged us down to their level. That was the thought process that seemed logical. It was interesting because generally, I think this might be the first game where Van Gaal's made the exact substitutions I wanted him to make. 
That doesn't tend to happen very often, but kind of, I don't know, when Herrera was warming up, it was like, there's no way he's going to take Fellaini off at this point, is there? But that was obviously the player to take off. And he did, and then he, he took Wilson off. Uh, I was kind of scared that he was going to take Falcao off, but Wilson Wilson did not have a good game. But it, in terms of selection, that's another one, isn't it? Because it wasn't really set up for a pacey player that game. It needed the ball to move quickly, but there was no room for players to actually move quickly, was there? Well, I think I think he was just trying to stretch the game a little bit. But Cambridge, at least in the second half, didn't try and uh, move the ball forward too much. I mean, in the first half, they actually created some good chances, and especially with Donaldson down the right and. Thought Champion was pretty energetic through midfield, so sort of that triumvirate of McGeehan, Champion, and Donaldson looked like they were better players than League Two standard, didn't they? At least United allowed them to be, and and they looked quite dangerous on the break. And Donaldson put in a couple of decent crosses from from which they they created some chances. Yeah, and obviously, like I mean, this is completely self evident that United's performance was nowhere near good enough. But the reason that I said at the beginning that I'm not convinced it's the football apocalypse was not actually because of what happened the next day. I kind of felt like that at the time. Like, it's one of them games, right? I mean, the problem is we've had too many of those one of them games and there there are systemic problems and, and the Cambridge United game feels more intense than it would normally have done because it comes in this kind of broader context of us struggling and Van Gaal struggling to get things to work and appearing to make a number of errors but first of all he did ditch the back three which everyone was freaking out about the whole week leading up to it and people kind of accusing him of stubbornness and all this kind of thing um and then second of all not to use a cliche but like freezing cold rain at a league two ground against the team playing you know as if their very lives depend on it because it's genuinely the biggest game of most of their careers and we weren't up to the task and it's like that's not good but nor is it the end of the world like not being able to muster up a performance in those circumstances there's so many times when like people kept going on about oh see Van Gaal's no better than Moyes and I was thinking do you not remember Alex Ferguson against lower league teams in the early rounds of the FA Cup in the last 15 years Sure. Honestly, I think you have to divorce that from, you know, I, th- I think you have to divorce the Twitter experience from the game, right? Because right at the moment, you're talking about the reaction of people on Twitter, right? And forget that. This, in truth, was a very poor performance from United side, playing a team 76 places below them. Right? These, are, these are players who couldn't, and what you've just described there, are players who couldn't get themselves up for a game of that nature. And that's pretty disturbing, I think. You know, Van Hals had... More than six months in the in the job now, and uh, he still hasn't worked out what his best eleven is. He still hasn't worked out what the formation is. He talks an awful lot about philosophy. I have no idea what it is. He's uh, he's pragmatically going from one game to the next. Uh, I'm not sure what what this is leading to. The four came in at the back. Why did it come in at the back for this game? Uh, are we going back to three against Leicester? What's the thinking there? Because it, there doesn't seem to be an obvious pattern. He played four at the back and then he played two midfielders in fullback positions. Is it because he doesn't trust Shaw and Raphael? Uh, Valencia was utterly dreadful. Stayed on the pitch for 90 minutes. Rojo had a great game. Jones looked insecure every time the ball went near him. You know, it looked like he hadn't been in a dust-up for a while, didn't it? And And so there's just so many questions that the game itself brings up. And... Sure, it's not the apocalypse. United didn't go out. It doesn't mean that Van Gaal is getting fired in the morning. It doesn't mean I think he should be fired. 
but it just adds to the weight of evidence that things are not progressing as quickly as we thought they might do under Van Hull. And worse than that, that we're not even sure where they're progressing to, um, because that's not obvious yet. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. I, I thought Jones, another one who sort of improved as the game went on, you're absolutely right, he looked really shaky early on. It felt like he kind of grew into the game. Uh, he's still on corners. Yeah. Can't, can't work this one out myself. Um, he, he did manage to get one corner past the first man, but one corner. And I think, I'm not sure how many he's taken over the last two games or so, uh, maybe six or seven or something, I'm guessing. I think it's fewer than that, but yeah. It's... But I, I think he's only managed to get one past the first man, uh, I just think, I think through recollection. I think he's running at two out of five or two out of six. <laughs> Still not good, but anyway. Yeah, I, so I mean, it's obviously something they've been working at at Carrington um, you know I guess they don't see him as a big enough asset in the box and he can strike the ball but it's not striking the ball anywhere near a United player they'd be better just keeping the ball to be honest you know it's, it's odd that they play this sort of ultra possession football at the moment and we know penetration let, yet they just want to launch it into the box unsuccessfully so they might as well just keep it if they're going to play that way honestly coming coming back to this issue about you know what does the Cambridge United result kind of show it shows that United desperately, desperately need to be able to find a new creative system because it's not working at the moment. And, you know, Van Hal was obviously talked about having a twitchy ass in his Friday press conference and he's worried about playing in the back four and he's worried about United's defensive side of United's game. And that's fine. He's He's gone safety first this year because his goal is fourth place. And the fourth place is pretty anxious I'd say because United could end up well end up playing a German or Spanish side in that qualifying game so you know he, he's gone a bit cautious maybe the time will come in 18 months time that will go do you remember that time when United played really defensively under Van Hull uh, as they're piling forward scoring five goals a game you know great maybe but right now it's not got the balance right he's swung back too far to the defensive side of United and not able to move the ball quick enough into attacking areas and you know, there's 16 chances created against Cambridge and six of them on target and a couple of good saves from the keeper. It doesn't feel like uh, it was enough against a team of that quality. No, it clearly wasn't. The pragmatist thing is fascinating to me. Like that, that his comments about his biological twitches were funny and they were received quite positively because they were funny, but they're not so different... When you when you think about what that's saying, it's like I kind of want to sit him down and go, you're the Man United manager, you've got to get used to that twitching, it is part of the job. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is part of the Manchester United identity, whatever the heck that means, is uh, that we like it, we don't mind if it's a bit dodgy, just go for it. And, and earlier in the season, he was certainly doing that. It's fascinating to me this season. I was thinking about the uh, the story of the season so far and how much of the season swung on that second half against Leicester. It feels like Van Gaal's kind of been in with post-traumatic shock since then and and the overcorrection, because we just don't concede anymore. You know, we barely conceded any goals. Everyone yeah, keeps going yeah. about how desperately yeah. we need a central defender in the transfer window. And I think, well, we, we definitely need a, a... We need prime Nemanja Vidic but it's like it's not to make us more solid defensively we do so so he can go back to four yeah I mean it, it's so he can change the system and and yeah so the central defender will be there to make United uh you know more solid attackingly it didn't make any sense but you know what I mean um so you know I talked about it before how Ferguson liked to play 1v1 
in defensive situations, so he could uh, overload in more positions in, a, in an attacking sense, and you know, I could, you know, could break very quickly. Now the exact opposite is happening with Van Hull at the moment. United cannot transition from the back to the front quickly, and they're just not. It's structural, uh, as well as uh, the fact there's a complete lack of pace in the team when Yenazai and Di Maria aren't in there, and and you know that's obviously why Wilson's getting a lot of games too. So uh, he's definitely got a problem. You know, just just. Uh, hate to talk stats and heat maps and all that kind of stuff but it's it's kind of instructive you know if you take a quick glimpse at united's heat map so little action taking place around cambridge's box so little it's all in midfield and yeah united had over 700 nearly 750 passes in the game which is barcelona-esque unfortunately barcelona do that against real madrid not cambridge but you know and, and loads and loads of players with a ton of touches except the forward so falcao Wilson and Van Persie between them had 41 touches between them. You know, Phil Jones had over 100. So it's uh, it's really instructive how difficult United are finding it to get it into attacking in the attacking third at the moment. It's all in the transition. It's a big problem. And it feels at the moment like Van Gaal is just hoping it's going to fix itself. So my question at this point is, structurally, why is that happening? Why is it that, you know, OK, in this game, Mata didn't play, but, you know, this is not particularly out of the norm for what United have been like. But why can't, say even in this game, Di Maria and Yanazai and Michael Carrick get the ball to the forwards? What's what's going on that's stopping that happening? Well, it's all central. So they've got 50% less players in wide areas. Against Cambridge, it's slightly different because they had no players in wide areas, really, because Shaw and Valencia actually were finding it very difficult to, to get into those positions uh, with any kind of space um, but for the most part when United are playing 3-4-1-2 it's all very central there's only two players in wide areas so 50% less options to stretch the play and that's all a bit predictable and you know when, when they're playing Van Persie and Falcao up front with Rooney in behind there's very little pace too. So one stat this week that um, had a list of the fastest players in the Premiership and Antonio Valencia was top and Wayne Rooney was about fifth and I was like really? At some point, Wayne Rooney had clocked like 30 kilometres an hour or something at some point. Uh, it was probably when he was chasing a left back and or chasing back in left back to make a tackle so he could get a few cheers because it's definitely not in an attacking sense. So, uh, random Rooney dig there. He didn't even play against Cambridge. <laughs> <laughs> he still got, still got so one. Still, still find a way to have a game. But there's just no pace, right? So it's not as if United are going to knock it over the top. It's impossible to do that. So it's all into feet and it's all very central. So I think it's pretty easy for teams to defend against. You know, And it's predictable in a way that... Moise's teams were predictable, but of course, you know, Moise's teams were predictable because they always chucked it out wide and always launched it into the box. So this one is always into feet. It's always short. It's always the same pace, one paced, uh, and it's always through the middle. And that just makes United very predictable. And I, I think we'd benefit a lot. You know, s- systems are kind of by the by in a way, but I think we'd benefit a lot from going back to a four and having more players in attacking areas that can attack wide areas. So if they just went back to a sort of standard 4-2-3-1 and got the players to do it be able to get players into wide areas as well as centrally and and the worry for Van Gaal is I don't think he trusts Michael Carrick to cover the ground defensively in front of those two central defenders so he sees United getting overloaded in that area and that's why he wants you know a player of a physical defensive nature Strootman's been mentioned loads of times obviously to come and do that job there's a few things I think 
the first thing I think is that one of the reasons we were so terrible against Cambridge is because with the way the system is, if the wide players aren't in form, we bang in trouble. It is kind of, you were joking about it last week, but we've hugely missed Ashley Young because he was actually quite effective at moving the ball forward and changing the pace of the game. Valencia was so horrific against Cambridge. It's got to be one of his worst games for years and there's been a few to choose from. It, it was really depressing. It's that, that sinking feeling every time he gets the ball of like, oh, this isn't going to be good, is it? You know, one of them ones. Yeah, and he got the ball a lot. You know, he had the, he had the ball an awful lot and it came to nothing every single time. You know, I, I just don't, I honestly, I, I like Antonio Valencia. He seems like a nice chap. Mm, and he? <laughs> and he, well, you know, he's, he's pretty wholehearted and I don't know, there's nothing, there's nothing not to like, right? Um, he's not like he's held the club to a ransom twice over, you know, wages or anything like that. He could hardly do that given his performances. But, but we've had so long since he was a really effective player, just so long. And you just got to wonder what the point is. It's kind of hard because you see too many of those players underperforming, too many of those players who don't feel like they would be in the side if Van Hal had any other choice. Um, but yeah, he's just spent 150 million pounds. So what's it going to take? Another 150 million pounds to turn this into a side that's a winning side again? It, it doesn't seem quite right. It seems like Van Hal should be able to get more out of these players. The other thing that I've been thinking about a lot is you just called it a three-four-one-two, which is what it was earlier in the season. He kind of set it up so he could get as many of his great forwards in the side as possible and you know you could play Mata at 10 or you could play Rooney at 10 but there was a number 10 but the recent back three hasn't been a 3-4-1-2 it's been a 3-3 you've had the three at the back Carrick in front of them and then two midfielders ahead of him and you can yeah, you yeah. can you can line up the full backs wherever the wing backs wherever you like in that formation but a three a a three three two one two exactly well yeah. no uh, isn't so three yeah so you've got two wing backs you've got Carrick all yeah. in the line yeah then you've got two midfielders in front of them it's been Rooney and uh, another then you've got the guy you know Rooney and Fellaini or whatever or Rooney and someone else and uh, and then you've got uh, the guy behind the two forwards. You know, that, I see what you mean. You know, he's actually sat it back a bit deeper. So exactly, there's there's been less of the guy behind the two forwards. Is what I'm I'm talking about there. This there is why we been... don't do tactics on rank cast because you know we're not we're not tactics. We, we just can't count. But but I mean, it's kind of it. Uh, we're actually we can definitely we can definitely look at the tactics and say this is a much more defensive version of the back three, and that actually Carrick coming back into side was hailed as this wonderful turning point for United season when he sort of appeared to steady the ship defensively and and you know Neville was very sort of keen on saying that Carrick would put these passes into Van Persie that Blint's not playing and all that kind of stuff earlier in the season you know but actually using Michael Carrick as you say we're having to make a lot of compromises in order to get Carrick in the system yeah and it isn't exactly making us a, a flowing attacking unit so no. I do wonder whether it's worth looking at that position as kind of a bit of a problem area in terms of our use of the ball. Well, it's a problem because Carrick's not getting into attacking areas to use his passing range. Then again, it's needed from that sort of quarterback position. In fact, I don't think Van Gaal should think about playing a back three without Michael Carrick in it, you know. And and then you have all sorts of problems in midfield because United aren't able to retain the ball. You know, it's this transition, right? And you transition out of the back into through midfield, through the front, and United have a problem on the ball. Herrera's not getting in the side for whatever reason. I don't know. What what is it? I mean, is he 
shagging Van Hal's daughter? Is he not turning up to training? Is he is he just not showing enough? Because every time I've seen him, he's done enough that I think he should definitely be in the side. And and this is the reason why he should definitely be in the side. He's one of United's better progressive passers, right? So every single time I would find a way to get Carrick, Herrera and Matter into the United side because they're going to move the ball quickly, right? And this is what United are desperately, desperately lacking at the moment. So I don't know. The, the, the Cambridge, you know, to go, go back to the big picture, it's not a terrible disaster. United will beat Cambridge at home. It's not like they've got a fixture congestion problem not playing in the Capital One Cup and not playing in Europe. So the squad can cope with it. It's going to be another 90 minutes for a few of those players who are short fitness to get fitness. We're getting to the point where there's no excuses around injuries anymore. So it's not a disaster. And Chelsea and City are out and uh, and so Southampton, actually. And, and uh, we'll see what happens with Liverpool in that replay in Arsenal on, on Sunday. You know, United have got a fantastic opportunity in this competition. So it's not a disaster, but... Boy, did that game throw up a load of questions for me in terms of where United are going because I think he needs to find some answers and he's definitely not done it yet. Absolutely, I, I, I totally agree that that's the case. The one thing that is, of course, happening is that people are asking serious questions about his competence and that just seems crazy to me, but each that is a fully each to their own situation, isn't it? You know, Indeed. Well, that was that game. Shall we, uh, shall we talk? Competition winner. Yeah, let's we, do that. Uh, we, we, uh, a few weeks ago, we said uh, we were giving away a, a lovely print of painting. Random Alfalco. Sorry. Painting, painting, painting of Random Alfalcao. Um, uh, this is a one-off, I think, uh, by milsartcom He's offered it up. Very nice it is, too. Um, celebrating one of his goals. He's actually scored a goal this season, I believe. You know, three. I, I find it, three. I, I find it hard to recall these goals. But... Uh, <laughs> This is celebrating a goal. It's a collector's piece because there aren't many goals. I, I remember it uh, like it was, you know, I remember each one like it was a, a, a newborn child because they're so incredibly precious. Mm. Okay. We'll remember these in 20 years. You remember when United spunk six million on that, you know, that kid from Columbia? Because he's not staying permanently, is he? Hey, there's time left to go in the season. Even if George Mendes is basically saying, I hate Man United now, bye everyone. I'm going away and taking all my toys with me, including David De Gea. Ha ha, see how you like that. At Blabber One says, this is the third place. Third place prize goes to At Blabber One, who says, when my comment got read out on the rank cast for the first time, I went berserk, sort of like Falcao. That shameless attempt to curry favour there almost worked. Got him got him a top three spot, which is really yeah. not bad. I think this is what call, kids call meta, isn't it? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a little bit self-referential. I like this one. At Matt Lewis 6 in number two spot with the... To be honest, I did a full-on Falco when I successfully cooked a meal on my own. It was carbonara, so a double win. Well done, Matt. That's impressive work. I think Matt's a young man. Uh, at uh, what Thomas Griffin at Nine Rifter says, correctly answering the tie-break question in the grand final of the 96 Chorlian District Road Safety Quiz... Congratulations. Not only did you win that 1996 Chorley and District Road Safety Quiz tie break in the grand final, you've also won a lovely painting of Radam Alfalcao going absolutely nuts. Very nice. The irony is when he goes to pick it up from the post office, he'll probably get run over. <laughs> I, I'm joking. I hope I haven't jinxed you there, mate. Because, you know, predictions on this show do come true. Yeah, oh yeah, we're famously accurate with our predictions on this show. Um, at So it's mils-art.com and it's 
a beautiful website full of beautiful paintings. So if you didn't win the print, uh, then uh, with a painting, sorry, then well worth uh, getting on there and seeing if you could pick yourself up something nice because there's there's some lovely United themed stuff on there too. So. And thank you very much uh, for the lovely competition prize. So talking of the listeners and their input into the show, should we do some Twitter questions before we do some newsy type things? Let's go for it. Uh, at Nightwink99 says, Di Maria can't handle a cold, wet Friday night match at Cambridge. Does he have what it takes to succeed in England? Yes. Yeah, he, he has what it takes. I mean, I think there's more to come from him. There has to be more to come from him. £60 million, pounds, you know. I mean, he, he he's a player whose dynamic creates chances will continue to do that. That's what you get out of him. You push him far forward. I mean, Van Hal actually tried to explain why he'd been using him in the striker's position because he wanted to stretch the game. But um, I think we found that that doesn't work. I- I'd love to see Di Maria uh, as one of the attacking three in a sort of four two three one. I think that's where he's going to cause the most damage. I like seeing him as a three in a four three three as one of the midfielders in that three, though, as well, because... He's very good there too, yeah. He gives United a lot of thrust from midfield. And actually, he even did that against Cambridge. The The end product wasn't there, but there were moments, you know, little micro moments where you see what is potentially to come. I think the system's not helping him very much, but I, I think he's certainly got what it takes. At Torkelidge, TJ Christensen says... What about ditching Falcao for the informed Lyon striker, Lacazette? He's Aguero mixed with physique, with the physique of Sturridge. I don't know. Sounds like League A talk to me there. So it, if- it is a little bit, yeah. No, I, I've seen the chap a little bit, not a lot, have to say. Uh, Lyon's president has been talking him up, obviously getting ready to sell Lyon. Uh, definitely a selling club these days and um, actually moved past the... The point where they were getting stupid money for stupid players, but they will sell him at some point. Probably not this January. He'll be flogged next summer for a decent fee. Uh, I don't think he's uh, in Falcao's class, at least theoretically. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't. Form is temporary. Form is temporary. At JSF underscore seven says, should we play in white more to confuse David De Gea into thinking we are Real Madrid? The thing is, there's no way he could have confused us with Real Madrid when we last played in white. No, if you look at how Madrid are going these days, uh, going great guns, easily the best side in Europe at the moment. Which, yeah, you can see why he might want to go. Sorry, I have to come back to Falcao because we've talked about him a bit. I, I'm, I'm going to go on the record. I think he's shot. I think this guy's gone. I think he'll never be the player he once was. Doesn't mean he won't be a great player, but I don't think he'll ever be the player he once was. You know, the thing that, apart from the finishing, the outstanding finishing, which doesn't appear to be the there at the moment, um, we'll just chalk that up to still being ring rusty six months into being at United. I think that explosive pace over five yards, he was never quick over 30, but he was over five to 10. It seems to have gone to me. So I don't think he'll ever be the player he once was. Okay. Uh, Talking of players who aren't what they once were, at Stiuge says, what's your favourite Darren Fletcher moment during his United career? It looks like Darren Fletcher is going to be off to West Ham United, um, where I suspect he's not going to be able to do that great a job, but we'll see. Yeah, I don't know if there's any moments, but thinking about those uh, Champions League semi-finals. Um, against Arsenal uh, a little while back when he was absolutely outstanding before he got sent off. I think that was kind of peak Fletcher, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, my favourite moment, I can't think of a specific turning point, but the gradual transition from a kind of frustrating joke where people used to call him Fergie's son and all that kind of stuff into proving himself at the as a very valuable member of United squad. I think that was a pretty big deal and some of United's fans could learn a bit of a lesson from 
that transition when it comes to patience with players? Well, there has been. There's patience and there's patience. Yeah, it took a very long time for Fletcher to become a, an important player. Of course, you know, Reddish, you used to call him the Scottish player, which was uh, cruel but funny as well. Um, because, you know, in his early years at United, he really he really wasn't at the same level as everyone else. He turned himself into a very effective sort of all-round defensive midfielder. Certainly not what he was when he was 16. He was definitely a more attacking player then. Um, and, you know, he's had a very good career as a result. He's done very well to come back. I, I can't see him lasting at United beyond the summer. It seems like he might even go this winter with a, a few clubs apparently interested. We used to complain, says at John Blaze, about the defence. But Van Gaal has sorted that. Maybe with time he'll sort the attack too. Thoughts? Yeah, I think we've gone through that one. Yeah, I think it's going to be a couple of players to sort that one out. Um, I'm not sure he's got the... The, the players he wants in order to find that balance. Uh, at Saruman187 says, how many Man United players does it take to change a light bulb? I'm going to say it's all of them because instead of just getting like Fellaini to stand there and turn the light bulb, he's going to get matter and then like put someone on his shoulders and like get someone else to kind of run in and try and jump and screw the light bulb in. It's a joke about playing players out of position, you see. That's, that's what I was going for. Mm, yeah. There's going to be three at the base. There's going to be two just a. <laughs> yeah, I worked it out. You were definitely counting one too many players when you put one behind the strikers. I counted it on my fingers while you were talking. That's very good. You've got 12 fingers, have you? <laughs> at Tom McGee says, do you think City or Chelsea still have a chance of winning the FA Cup? Yeah, because uh, because all the refs are against us and that, and the FA and conspiracy like conspiracy. Oh, God. Let's not get on to Jose. Jesus. I have to say, this is the... The, you know, we've we've uh, blown hot and cold on on Rankcast over the years about Jose, mostly cold, I have to say. Uh, during peak Moyes, he seemed like a good idea. Um, he rarely does uh, outside of peak Moyes. It's, that, that's the kind of thing that um, made sure he didn't get the United job, I think, the kind of embarrassing tirade about referees and conspiracies. And it's a load of nonsense. And talking of a load of nonsense, at Devin Doherty 89 says, is Ander Herrera a myth? <laughs> yeah, he might well be. Don't get it. Look, I just don't, I don't think he's going to be the world's finest midfielder, but he's got lots to offer United. And there's something going on that I don't know about which means he's not getting in the team more often than he should. And even when he puts in a positive performance, I cannot imagine that he'll be in the team against Leicester at the weekend. At Phil Gatt says, on the 20th anniversary of the most infamous Kung Fu kick ever, should Cantona have aimed higher? It's interesting, I think about this Kung Fu kick sometimes, because I'm confident that if the rank cast, uh, not necessarily proud, but confident, that if the rank cast had been around 20 years ago, I would have been saying, it's a disgrace, you can't be kicking fans. I would have been saying, I think, you know, everyone talks about the Kung Fu kick and they've underestimated the quality of the punch afterwards. <laughs> yes, yeah, true. Because that Kung Fu kick looks great in the photos, but when you see the, he really just does use it to knock the player, the, knock the guy off his sort of balance so he can lead into him with the punch. Yeah, yeah no, I thought it was a quality right-hander uh, over the top. Good good technique with the roundhouse. Um we can't, we can't not talk about it. 20 years ago, today as we record, we're recording on Sunday. A, doesn't half make me feel old, because uh, I remember this game uh, very clearly. And B, I think over the years, we're able to have a bit of perspective. You know, it was it was a cataclysm, wasn't it? It was the worst thing that had ever happened. I was, li- I was listening to 
Jonathan Pierce's commentary from uh, the radio, um, and uh, he's he's screaming and shouting. You can hear him spitting into the microphone about how Cantona should never play football again, and that was the kind of reaction, you know. And uh, uh, Ingar has run a piece for United Rant. I'll post it later today, in which he said even sober papers like the Daily Telegraph got in on the act. They, they apparently ran two editorials afterwards. One was on the 50th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz, and the other was on Eric Cantona. You know, talk about lack of perspective. And and that was it. That was the, the media. They went into a hyper, you know, a hyper frenzied state. And a lot of it was driven by Sky, of course, because that was, you know, the beginning of their hype machine in a, in a way, wasn't it? And and they did it very successful. In, and, uh, and in the end... You look back on it and you go, yeah, you can't be diving into the crowd to kick people. That's definitely not on. But the FA were extremely duplicitous in how they behaved with United and they did it only because he was a foreigner and because it was United, I'm sure, and because it had the kind of high-profile media attention. And then when you look back on it, you just kind of think, that was just a bit funny, really, as well. I mean, it's got this incredible iconography and it kind of turned out really nice for all of us that the guy he beat up turned out to be, you know, a terrible, terrible bloke. That is quite convenient. It wasn't like some charity worker having a bad day or something. And and it is interesting, you know, talking about a conspiracy, that's kind of from the days when there genuinely was a anti-Manchester United agenda at the FA. Like, not necessarily because they hated Manchester United, I think that would be pretty reductive, but because United were constantly able to be used as an example because they were the highest profile club and all that kind of stuff. And Yeah, and clearly that happened, clearly that happened, because behind the doors they'd agreed a deal for uh, Cantona to miss the rest of the season uh, and then they went and added four months onto that uh, in the ban uh, which was just extremely duplicitous and there was never any kind of rationale behind that just what they decided to do and so correct me if I'm wrong it's interesting because that that moment stands as a key part of the iconic legend of Eric Cantona right you you close your eyes and you think of Cantona and it won't be long before you see that image flash before you because we've seen it so many times on t-shirts and posters and you know all that kind of thing since and you know that he gave that brilliant interview a couple of years ago when he was doing the New York Cosmos publicity tour thing where he said the finest moment of his United career was when he kicked that hooligan you know and so it stands as part of his legend but of course it shows the duality of Cantona not just not just in that it showed him that kind of rage and and impulsiveness that was in him but also the fact that that's both his most iconic moment and also the moment he most damaged United because we didn't win the league that season because that happened and then absolutely lost the league by a point and and um I mean he said afterwards Eric said United would have definitely won the league um if he had not been banned and then then he went on to say and um but the same would have been true if we had lost Pallister or Schmeichel or Irwin or any of the others um you know uh, off on a tangent here but Look at the team that played that night against Palace. <laughs> wow. I tell you what, they'd give this team a good hiding. <laughs> Schmeichel in goal, um, uh, Pallister and Bruce in the centre of defence, Owen uh, left back. Uh, who was at right back? Parker was at right back. He might be in the weak link. Kinchelskis uh, and Giggs on the wing. Ince and Keane in central midfield. They'd give anyone a good kicking and fusing Cantona up front. Uh, that's a team. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I got a sort of misty eyed thinking about it. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's 
it's really interesting that then the next season, of course, he came back and dragged United to the title, even though he came back four months into the season, you know. Yeah. So, so that 94-95 season was the only season he didn't win the league uh, when in, during his time <laughs> in England. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, of course, it's a shame we didn't win the league that season. But ultimately, what memory would you rather have? You know, would you rather have the, another, yet another league title in the infinite parade of league titles or that iconographic moment that stands as a kind of something bigger than football? Well, it, yeah, no. So I get that. I, I think I'd still have the title. But um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's, a, it's a huge moment in football and it's a huge moment for, for for many reasons the the iconography uh, the overreaction of the media and the fa uh, which was completely out of kilter with the general public i think and the legend of eric Cantona and everything he kind of stood for and and him as a player you know so of course you know uh, fantastic moment in a way wasn't it <laughs> yeah that's the truth and i would have got fully won't somebody please think of the children if uh, i've been talking about it at the time but in in retrospect it was a heck of a thing uh, i can't imagine we'll be seeing anything quite that iconic as manchester united take on leicester Leicester, who have been in a dreadful run of the form in the league, but continued the theme of Saturday's schadenfreude by beating a team above them in the league, although fewer places than many of those upsets when they, they beat Tottenham, thanks to one of the most immensely embarrassing pieces of goalkeeping that's ever happened. Yeah, uh, Michelle Vaughan like, having such a good game. And uh, so I didn't know the scores. I was watching match of the day and I said to my housemate, what, he's far too good to be Tottenham's number two is Michelle Vaughan. And then... Then that happened at the end. Yeah. Leicester aren't in that bad a run of form, you know. They've won four of the last six. Oh, really? Just just one one defeat in six, yeah. So, you know, they beat Tottenham. They lost to Stoke, but they beat Villa and Newcastle and Hull and got a draw at Anfield. (laughs) Okay, well, completely ignore everything I said. I don't know why I had that in my head, that they were still struggling. And they obviously had gone through a very poor patch of form, haven't they? But clearly come out the other side of it. And they've not got rid of Nigel Pearson, which they were talking about doing. Yeah, I mean, you know... Look, it's uh, Leicester's uh, a side of moderate resources, uh, and they've come out from the championship, and they've they've kind of put the patch the side together, haven't they? You know, a mix of small purchases and uh, um, and freebies, and and most of the squad that was around in the championship. So you know, I, th- I think they're about where you'd expect them to be. Nigel Pearson is a good manager. He put together a, a very good side last year in the championship. He's trying to bridge that very large gap between the Championship and the Premier League. And, you know, if chairman go around sacking the manager who got them into the Premier League all the time, then they'll get what they deserve, which is relegation uh, most of the time. You know, and they've got some decent players, Leicester. They, you know, they, they are certainly not going to score a lot of points in the Premier League this season, definitely, but they've got some decent players. They're rock bottom of the Premier League at the moment, three points off safety. Um, the... The game at, I was about to call it Filbert Street, but it's not been Filbert Street for a, a very long time. Uh, the game at the, the Walkers Stadium, it's not even that anymore, no, is no, it? No, I think it's called the King yeah, Power Stadium. It, yeah, yeah that's, you can't keep up with branding. Just call it Filbert yeah, Street. Yeah, okay. The, uh, the game at Leicester was, as I mentioned earlier, a, 
sort of horrendous turning point in our season when for half an hour I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely thought we'd win the league for that half an hour. And it was like the second half was a sobering lesson that perhaps we weren't going to sweep all before us. I can't see it being anything like that game, uh, either in terms of how good we were or how bad we were. No, I don't. Although, look, they've got the players who can cause United some damage. Not, not least about six ex-United players, you know. Dan, Danny Drinkwater, Matty James, Richie DeLate. Um, maybe three HG United players. No, no. There's um that lad that played against Hull last season. What's his name? The one there's that Tom Lawrence. Yep, yep, yep. There's also, of course, Casper Schmeichel, and he almost counts as an HG United player. You know, since his dad was such a legend until he went to City. Then now we don't like to talk about him. Nope. So yeah, lots of United links there. Nick Powell is no longer there, right? He was on loan. He couldn't play anywhere. And I think he went back to United. So yeah, Nick Powell, whose career we will come on He's to. He's going at some south point, fast. Yeah, yeah. Trouble. Yeah. So look, they've they've got some decent players in uh, Leonardo Ulloa. Is that how you spell it? Ulloa. I think he's. I think it's pronounced Ochoa. There you go. It's double L. That doesn't sound right in Spanish. I know. Yeah. That chap. He's you know he's going to cause the United some problems if Leicester get enough of the ball. They probably won't have much of the ball. To be fair, at Old Trafford and the system United play these days. But you know he's good. He's very good in the air, isn't he? In, uh, you'd expect that would cause any combination of United central defenders some problems. So I, I expect United to win and, and win reasonably comfortably. But Leicester, as I said, you know they're not in that bad of runner form, and, and going to Tottenham and winning the FA Cup will give them a super amount of confidence, and it shows that they're a half decent side. Yeah, absolutely. Talking of a half decent side. I have absolutely no idea whatsoever what Van Gaal's going to do, whether he'll go with the back three again. I I don't know. It would seem regressive to do so, but it could happen, I suppose. I guess some of it depends on, on who's fit up front and whether Van Persie came back and he looked looked okay, I thought, actually. There's a little cameo. Falcao didn't have a bad game, but it wasn't quite happening. All the questions remain... Who knows what Van Gaal's going to do with the with either the formation or the selection in this one? Yeah, uh, and I can tell you, and I think that tells you an awful lot, right? You know, it's it's good to be unpredictable in in many ways, but uh, I, I can't tell you that there's an obvious formation or a, a selection uh, that Van Gaal will pick, or even close to it, because I'm not quite sure that he knows what direction he's on at the moment. No, and I, I wonder whether we'll get any more guidance. I wonder whether the the first Leicester game, having been a horrendous turning point in the season, maybe this Leicester game will be a wonderfully positive turning point and we'll put together a decent performance, because we definitely could. There's so much talent available to United, and there have been occasions this season in which it's clicked, and... It's not impossible that it could happen, but nor is it impossible that we could put in a really disjointed and disappointing performance. Those things seem, you know, 40-60 to me. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go with a three at the back. Uh, I think that's what he'll do. I think he'll he'll head back to that for the Premier League. And uh, But I'm going to go for a 2-1 win for United. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm... I'm just picking numbers out of the air really at this point because I've got no sense of what the pattern of the game is going to be or, or what kind of team we'll put out but uh, I'm going to optimistically plump for a 2-0 win because we don't really concede many goals these days. Very good, yeah. 
So thank you very much for listening to another episode of the Rankcast. Uh, we'll be back at, as the, I was about to say, the same time next week. But what I, of course, mean is some sort of vaguely similar time, depending on our schedules. Um, if you want to get hold of us in between now and then to complain about Ed's brief bit of Rooney bashing, you can get us on Twitter. I'm at UTD Rankcast and Ed is at United Rant. We're both on Facebook at facebook.com slash United Rant. And you can read what I've got to write on the Bleacher Report and what Ed's got to write on unitedrant.co.uk. If you want to support the show and send a bit of love our way, you can do so at unitedrant.co.uk slash donate. Thank you very, very much to everyone that's done that. That is super much appreciated. And also appreciated is if you could hit the subscribe button on iTunes or whatever podcatching software you choose to use. Very good. Is it called a podcatcher? I suppose it is. Uh, leave us a review tell us what you think Uh, i had uh, had some extremely funny um twitter conversations with uh, someone who was talking about the show last week who i happened to know uh, through work circles who didn't know i did the show (laughs) yeah i don't don't necessarily keep it a secret but i suppose i don't often use my full name on the show do i so uh it's uh, people don't put that together sometimes. That was so quite amusing. Did they work it out during the course of the Twitter conversation that you were you? No, I dropped him a DM and said, hi, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and shout out as well to Chris Rocks. Not not Chris Rock, but Chris Rocks for uh, some very thoughtful emails um, on subjects that we discussed last week. And whilst we might not necessarily agree with all the points, uh, it's always nice when people are prepared to engage in a civilised way about opinions, isn't it? It is. Is is this a bit where you were bashing foreigners, Paul? I don't believe I was doing that, was I? I No, no, maybe not. No, especially not since you're a cheese-eating surrender monkey fan. Absolutely, and proud of it. Very good. Indifferent to the concept of nationhood, more accurately. Very good. Um, Yeah, that that sparked quite a debate, I think, uh, on... uh, on the show page and a little bit on Twitter. In fact, the thing that really caught the imagination, though, was uh, uh, which United players would be in the United boy band, <laughs> yeah. which went on and on and on for quite some time. It did. I'm so disappointed in myself that I didn't include uh, Juan Mato in the original lineup when he's such an obvious candidate. Mm, yeah, uh, it's, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I don't think he's boy band material. He's just a bit short. I he's think a, he's... Uh, they're all short. <laughs> That's, all famous people are short, Ed. <laughs> well, this is true. No, I, I think he's the dude at the piano writing the ballads. Yeah, maybe so. Actually, he might he might have like left the band to do kind of more like edgy music, but really it's not edgy at all. It's just him with an acoustic guitar, so he thinks it's edgy, right? Very good. Well, carry this one on on uh, Facebook and Twitter if you if you like. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. Sorry that uh, United weren't able to bring a win for us this week uh, otherwise we might have been had, uh, having a more positive conversation so there, there are plenty of questions for United to answer Van Hal in particular I think um, I'm assuming that we'll get a win against Leicester and we can be a bit more positive next week